Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. If we haven't had the privilege of officially meeting, my name is Caden. I'm the worship pastor here, and I, I have been doing worship stuff for like 12 or 13 years now. I think the first time I did it, I was in middle school and was playing and singing. And again, I'm a pastor's kid, so I just grew up in the world of worship and church. And it's, it's actually so all-consuming to my life that I have entered into a season of now dreaming about worship. I dream about leading worship, but it's not like in the good way. It's not like I'm leading in front of a, a stadium of 40,000 people. It's more like nightmares. I have nightmares of leading worship now. And one nightmare that I had not too long ago was showed up to lead worship on a Sunday. I didn't have any pants. The only pants available were snow pants. So I led worship in snow pants. And I just like, I've had enough of those. But the more and more I think about it, I've had like real life stories that probably could be considered nightmares. Like real moments leading worship. And if you guys, uh, if you attend our encounter nights and you were here in the spring, then you would probably be familiar with um, the, the carrot incident is maybe what I'm calling it. If you know, you know. But I, I was leading an acoustic worship set at an encounter night and was feeling a little ambitious a couple minutes before the worship set. Thought I could take on a baby carrot all by myself. I failed in doing so. Ended up choking for, honestly, I bet it was five or six minutes prior to the worship set. Fighting for my life in the back room over there. Dry heaving. I come out. My voice is destroyed. You guys were all so gracious with me if you were there singing louder and helping me out. But like when I think of that, it's a little bit like every, everything that could have gone wrong felt like it went wrong. And, and let me just real quick. For all you people who use power tools... Like, get off my back. Like, I almost died leading worship. So don't give me that. Like, that was, that was a real thing for me. And so I've had these nightmares. But I have one fear when leading that I'm going to share with you. And I don't really know why I'm sharing this with you. But we lead a song called God of Revival. If you're familiar with it, it's the darkest night. You can light it up. You can light it up. Oh, God of Revival. And it's this big anthem, faith-building song. Um, but I, I watched a clip a few years ago of a worship leader who led this song. And he had one fatal error in that he flipped two of the letters and two of the words, and it came out very different. Don't know why I'm sharing this with you, because we're probably never going to do it again. But the verse goes like this. It says, you rose in victory, and now you're seated forever on the throne. So why should my heart fear what you've defeated? I will trust in you alone. Isn't that so pretty? Like, this is a pretty verse. Well, this worship leader, when singing the song, he said, instead of, he said, you rose in victory, and now you're seated forever on the throne. So why should my fart hear what you've defeated? I will trust in you alone. And so here's, here's the agreement I think we should make. If I make a fatal error like that, and I say fart in a worship service while singing, you guys have permission to laugh. You guys can just let it out. You don't need to do this whole like distracting, like I'm just going to focus on the words. Just let it go. I though have permission to take my guitar off, set it down, leave through that back entrance, and then we never speak of it again. <laughs> I feel like that's the only fair thing to do. I'm, I'm just teasing. We're not really going to do that, but we, we kind of might do that if it really does go that south. So I, I share all of that because we're going to look at a, a scripture today where there's this, there's this historic worship service that happens in Acts. But leading up to it, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, but it ended with God being greatly glorified. It ended with breakthrough, falling in the room, and it ended with the conversion and the salvation of an entire family. And so if you guys would, would you bow your heads with me? Let's welcome the Holy Spirit as we read the text. 
Well, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. God, we ask that you would just open our hearts, open our minds to that which you want to teach us today. We love your word. We love that it changes us and leads us. And we just ask that you would continue to make us look more like your son. It's in your mighty name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, go to Acts 16 for me. We're going to be picking up Acts 16, verse 16. You can follow along on the screen. You can follow along in the Bible app. You can follow along on your own app. But Acts 16, verse 16. And up to this point, this is the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. And so he's actually returning to some different towns that he's been before. And one of these places that he is going is called Lystra. And Lystra, prior to this second missionary trip, he was in Lystra and he was actually stoned. So I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure Paul is really excited to go to this town, and I'm sure Lystra is excited to have him. But we're going to pick up reading in verse 16. It says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates or for kids in the room, maybe the principal's office, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us, Romans, to accept or practice. And then verse 22, the crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, supposing uh, to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice. He said, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. We're going to stop reading right there. What a profound story. What a profound story in the Bible. Like, I think you could put it in Austin's imaginary book titled, The Bible's Not Boring, You're Boring. Because this, to me, feels like one of those stories. The way you read it and the way you think about it, it's so interesting. Like, let's even just quick little summary, walk it through. Paul's returning to a town that had previously stoned him. Paul and Silas, they start sharing the gospel. There's this demonic slave woman who comes up and starts prophesying 
the truth about Paul and Silas. They cast this spirit out of the woman and the owners are upset because they're now not going to make money off this slave woman. And they're brought before the leaders of the city and they're stripped and they're beaten and then they're thrown in prison. And it says in the word that they're put at the, the central part of the prison. And in Roman culture, prisons were often down underneath the ground in a cellar-like thing. And the center was often the dirtiest place because everything would trickle down. So it was possible that Paul and Silas were stripped, beaten, sitting in the middle of the dark, sitting in a pile of poop. Yeah, I said it. And it's, it's true that when you find them in this situation, and then the crazy thing about this whole story is verse 25. About midnight, my first thought is like, go to bed, Paul and Silas. But then you see them praying and singing hymns to God. And then after they're singing, the foundation of the prison is shaken, their shackles are loosed, and the doors fling wide open. And then the jailer who's guarding them ends up accepting Christ, and him and his whole family gets baptized. Like, just what a unique story. And maybe it's the worship leader in me, but I can't help but think, what was the song that Paul and Silas we're singing because I would love some of that. Do that on a Sunday morning and see what happens. You know what I'm saying? Like if it's, if it's shaking prison walls, what would it do in this building if we were to do it? And, and I think maybe it's a, a living hope type of song. When you get all the voices in and everybody lifts up, it just, it feels heavenly. Or was it, was it a, a song of sadness or a lack of hope? Was it Psalms 22 when Christ was on the cross? My God, why have you forsaken me? And then Christ kicks down the door and he's like, I haven't forsaken you. Was it one of those moments? What were they singing? Why were they singing? This is where my brain goes as a worship leader. And so I did a little bit of research on this, this word. So the word singing hymns to God is one word in the Greek. And I, I don't know how to read Greek. I'm not going to act like I know how. But I did some research. And the definition is simply this. And, and the word is hymneo. And it's where we get the word hymn or hymnal. And it says to sing the praise of to sing hymns to, but this is what stands out to me, to celebrate God in songs, to celebrate God in songs. If you do a little more research into this word, it's, it's actually in Jewish tradition. It's a part of this word is called the great Hallel, which refers to a couple different Psalms. And you can throw those up on the screen. It refers to Psalms 113 through 18 and 136. And Hallel in Hebrew is there seven Hebrew words for it. And it's just praise. So Follow me thinking about this. Paul and Silas are in prison, unfairly beaten in the middle of the night, and they're singing songs that may be related to these song titles. Psalms 113, who is like the Lord our God? Psalms 114, tremble at the presence of the Lord. 115, to your name give glory. I love the Lord. 117, the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. And 118, his steadfast love endures forever. And finally, 136, the repeat, his steadfast love endures forever. And so as I was thinking about this, what stands out to me really off the bat is it seems as though the songs that Paul and Silas were singing don't really match their situation. They don't match their situation. Because when you look at those psalms, it's, it's what I like to use the language of vertical. It doesn't include me. It doesn't include my circumstance. Or it doesn't even include what I'm going to do for God. Instead, it's just all this way. It's just telling God who he is or what he has done or tremble at the presence of the Lord. We see this statement and we see that Paul were possibly singing these songs that had nothing to do with their situation. Why would they sing these songs? Why would they sing songs of praise and celebration while being in the midst of prison unfairly beaten? Like, could it actually be that Paul and Silas were thanking God in the midst of trial? Could it be that they were declaring 
the unchanging over the changing circumstances in their lives. And I've thought about this, this chapter, Acts 16, and in the worship world, there's probably thousands of songs that have been inspired by this very chapter. Like even in He Lives, it mentions the breaking of shackles. And I can think of other songs. It's Breakthrough by Red Rocks, one that we've sang, Shake the Mountains, Break the Walls Apart, Open the Heavens, Almighty God You Are. We think of Do It Again by Elevation, or Waymaker by Leland, See a Victory by Elevation, Miracles by Jesus Culture, Break Every Chain by Kim Walker Smith, Peace Be Still, House of Miracles, and the list could go on and on and on. And the reason why is because we, the church, we love to sing about breakthrough. We love to sing about blessing. We love to sing about miracles and deliverance and healing. And let me, let me tell you right now, it's really good to sing about those things. It's good to stir up our faith and to believe and to ask God for the impossible. But I think it's really important as disciples and as people who are becoming more like Christ, we need to have a balanced diet of worship. We have a balanced diet of worship because if we only sing songs about breakthrough, what happens if the breakthrough doesn't come? What happens if the healing that we have prayed for for so long doesn't come? The deliverance we've been asking the Lord for doesn't. What happens if it doesn't come? And my hope with this sermon today is that we, looking at Paul and Silas, would have a resolve that says, I will worship in spite of my circumstances. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they have a, they have a, a song or a statement of faith and breakthrough where they say, yeah, you can throw us in the fire and our God will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. We will not bow. And what really stands up to me, stands out to me about this idea of Paul and Silas and what they did in the prison was that up to this point, Paul and Silas, they had no reference story to a song of breakthrough. So I know like we see this story and, and we have so many of our songs and our beliefs and our theology is shaped by this idea that if we worship, sometimes it leads to breakthrough. But up to this point, Paul and Silas, they didn't have that. They maybe were referencing Jericho early on when Israel walked around Jericho and the walls came tumbling down when they all shouted. But most likely what it shows us when we look at Paul and Silas and the circumstance they were in, that their worship was driven by one thing. It was driven by a deep, deep love for the person of God. It wasn't driven by a desire to escape the prison. Most likely it wasn't desire. It wasn't, it wasn't driven by sadness or lament. It was driven by a deep love for the person of God. They didn't have a reference like we do that shapes all of our songs. Furthermore, it shows me that there was a deep maturity in Paul and Silas's life. That leading up to this, that they had an understanding about worship that I think much of us in the church struggle to understand. That their external circumstances did not affect their worship. There was a spiritual fortitude. It makes me think of Acts 5 verse 41. The disciples are brought before the council and again unfairly beaten. And then they leave saying this. They left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Makes me think of James 1 verse 2. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And in fact, by our fleshly standards, Paul and Silas had every reason not to worship. They had every reason not to. They could have just been in the prison cell upset and angry and frustrated at God. Like, just imagine Paul. This is the second time returning to Lystra. And he's like, darn it, Lystra. <laughs> like, you stoned me the first time, and then you beat me unfairly the second time, threw me in prison, and I'm a Roman citizen. I have rights. You can't do this. Like, think of us in our modern world today. 
If the FBI busted down our door and grabbed us and beat us unfairly and threw us in prison, for most of us, we'd be like, I'm heading for the gun safe, going out in a blaze of glory, or I'm ponying up with all the lawyers and I'm getting my paycheck. Why? Because I know my rights. I know my rights. But that's not the response of Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, instead, they choose to worship. They instead choose to sing hymns and praise to God. Could it be that they knew something that we, the church, struggle to understand? Could it be that they, they were so enraptured with the person of Jesus that then when they look at their circumstances and they compare the things around them, it pales in comparison to what Jesus did on the cross? Worship defined is ascribing worth to someone or something. It's giving worth to someone or something. And, and if Christ, the, the, the person, our Savior, that we worship, it says in the scripture that he's of, he, he's of infinite worth. It describes him as the pearl of great price or the treasure in the field that once you find him, you sell everything you own to have him. So visualize a scale with me. If Christ is of infinite worth and he's on one side of the scale and you set your circumstances or your hardship or your challenge or your prayer for breakthrough on that side of the scale, because Christ is of infinite worth, he should always be weightier than the circumstance that we find ourselves in, right? And I know, I know that it's, it's hard and we have, we have a flesh and we're human and we, we fail, but the problem is I think if Christ is of infinite worth, then our worship shouldn't change depending on our seasons. And I think that's what Paul and Silas understood. They had such a great understanding of the person of Jesus and what, that, what he did on the cross that their seasons didn't influence their worship. Let's take exercise, working out as an example. For exercise, we will physically put our body in pain because we believe that the end goal is worth the current pain we are experiencing. So maybe the dream for you is six-pack abs or broad shoulders, or it's to be 15 to 20 pounds lighter, and your dream is I will put myself under physical duress, under physical pain. Why? Because I believe that the end goal is worth it. Worship is the exact same thing. Worship is a statement that there is something of greater value at the end. So I will choose to praise. I'll choose to praise now in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardship. It makes me think of Paul in Romans 8 verse 18 when he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And I know we're never, we're never intentionally allowing seasons or hardship or challenges to affect our worship, but I think more often than not, it does. More often than not, it does. And what stands out to me again in Acts 16 is as Paul and Silas were praying in the prisons and worshiping, it says that the other inmates were listening. The other inmates were listening. And what that tells me is that in our lives, people are watching our worship. Kids, peers, family members, adults, People are watching the way we respond when we face seasons of hardship. When we're thrown into the prisons and this season comes upon us, my question to us as a church is, does our worship fluctuate? And when I say worship, I don't just mean singing here on a Sunday. I mean the devotion to Jesus, the waking up early to pray and minister to his heart and studying his word and being involved in church and all of those things. Does our devotion to Jesus ebb and flow, go up and down and left to right, depending on our season? Because if it does, though we would never say it with our words, the statement we are making through our lifestyle is that even though we say God is worthy, our lifestyles don't reflect that worth. 
the statement we are making, if you look at that scale, is that this season of hardship, the business deal that didn't go through, we're making a statement that that is actually of greater worth because it's changing the way we worship. And I want to address the hardship in the room because I know there are some of you in this room, you have walked journeys that I myself could never imagine walking. You've fought battles that I could never imagine fighting. You've been through hardship and you still are in a season of waiting and praying and seeking and asking God for the breakthrough. And so I in no way want to seem insensitive, but what I'm trying to point out to us is that Paul and Silas, long before they came to this prison, I believe they had a resolve in their heart that says, I will worship no matter the circumstance that comes upon me. I'm not trying to make light of our sufferings because two things can be true at the same time and this is hard for us to understand. Our lives can really, really, really stink and God can still be worthy of praise. Our lives can be really hard and God can still be worthy of praise. And that's even why with the, with the 30 minutes that we have on a Sunday, I try to really pick songs that lift our attention upward. Because we have 168 hours to think about our challenges and our struggles and the pain in our life. But when we step into a Sunday, my hope is that we would declare a heavenly reality that may not, may not exist currently. And the hope is that we could lift our gaze upward. That we could sing praise. That we could be a Paul and Silas and praise in the midst of our circumstances. And I don't think, that is, I don't think that's being fake. I feel like I've heard it said to people outside the church or even people inside the church that, oh man, the church, is, it's just superficial or it's fake. They, they, they just always, they're always excited on the first song. And, and I think there's probably a level of truth to that. I think at times we can be a little inauthentic and someone asks you, how are you doing? You're like, yeah, I'm good. It's good, it's good to see you, Pastor. Bless the name of the Lord. And, and we do that thing. But what I want to point out to us, when we are declaring the heavenly realities of take, oh, praise the name, he shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night. And I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed in Jesus' face. That's not fake. Church, that's faith. That's faith. When we sing about a greater reality, when we sing about the day that we will one day see Jesus face to face, that is not us forsaking or abandoning the current struggles that we're facing. It's a statement of faith. It's saying that the current pain I am experiencing is not even worth comparing to the glory that will one day be revealed to us. You guys see what I'm saying there? It's a statement of faith when we declare that. So it's not the church being fake. Two things can be true. We can be in pain and God is still worthy of praise. Finally, I think what we see in this historic worship service is the power of testimony. The power of testimony, because I believe it's testimony. And we've talked about this as a church. Austin has spent time talking about stories. Stories, what is your story? And I think for all of us, we visualize testimony as simply something in our past. It's something in our wake. If, if you were to look at my life and look behind me, you would see chains of depression broken or chains of anxiety or, or I was in this prison cell, but the Lord freed me. And I think that's true in all of our lives of testimony. But I want to challenge us because I think testimony is more than the past. It's the present. It's more than, our, it's more than the past. It's the present. It's when, when we come into church or you're home and you're spending time with Jesus and you choose to worship and lift your hands even though they are in shackles even though depression still has a hold on you, even though that unforgiveness that you're trying to work through, when you choose to worship and pour out your love and affection on Jesus, that is a part of your testimony. Testimony is not simply something in the past. It's in the, it's in the present situation. That's what we see with Paul and Silas. 
in chains, sitting dark in the middle of a prison, and they are singing hymns to God. And that is what beckoned salvation to this entire family. That's what beckoned salvation for this entire family was the power of testimony. I was, I was leading worship at my dad's church years ago, and um, there was a family in my dad's church who they had a son, and a few months after having him, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. And this baby boy, man, he fought for years and years and years. And, and our church rallied as best as we could, and we would pray, and we would fast, and we would go down to children's hospital, and we'd provide meals, and, and we would do all of these different things. We'd circle around their house and pray, and, and, and it was probably about year five before this baby boy would lose his life. I remember the, the, the month or the weeks were really, really tough on the family. And they were down at Children's Hospital yet again that week. And I'm, I'm leading on a Sunday morning and I see the mother of this son walk in, knowing her week. She walks in, she takes off her coat, she lifts both hands and begins to praise. And the statement she was making was of worth. The statement she was making was, though the hardship, though the suffering, though the challenges that we are experiencing currently, it's not worth comparing to the glory that will one day be revealed to us. It's Leonard Ravenhill who says, worship that costs nothing is worth nothing. And so her worship, it meant something because it cost her something. But through Paul and Silas and this woman at my dad's church, all of it was done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you may even find yourself in a, in a season of life right now where suffering is real. The breakthrough that you're praying for is real and it's hard. But all of it, their worship and the worship for you in a season of suffering and for myself is only empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can do this and a deep love for Jesus. And so I want to end with a couple of questions that I just want to present to you guys as we look at Acts 16. The, the question I have for you is, what is your prison cell? What are your shackles? What are the things that are holding you back in your worship? When you visualize that scale and you put Christ on one end and your devotion to Jesus and you put this other thing that's competing, what would it be for you? What is your prison cell? And I think for most of us, we're not going to face beatings and imprisonments. I pray. <laughs> We're not going to face that. We're not going to be treated unfairly, but I think for most of us, the battle that we face and two things I see really clearly in culture is comfort and busyness. The first one, comfort. I think for us, it's just the, the thing fighting for worth with God is comfort. For most of us, we probably drive a car that works pretty well. We live in a home that is great. We love our family. We're, we have a business and a job that we love. And the truth is there's just not a lot of need in our world today. And on these cold fall mornings, when the sun's rising a little later, that Tempur-Pedic bed just feels really nice. And all of a sudden, the ambition to spend time with Jesus in the morning has been conquered by comfort. I think the other one is busyness. I think there are people in the room who you physically, you do not have the mental capacity to worship the Lord because you are strapped so thin with responsibilities and meetings and you're responding to emails early in the morning and you're getting to bed late. And for us, busyness is conquering our worship. And I, I want to be honest with you guys, this sermon has been doing a work on me long before maybe it has or will with you, but 
I, I, I kind of had a marathon week of leading worship a few weeks ago, and, and I'm super blessed to be able to do this full time. Like, I get paid to lead worship. It's the dream job for me. But I had led 10 worship sets in the span of six or seven days, and I remember on this last worship set, I'm leading at a friend's men's gathering in Greeley, and I'm singing these songs that I've sang a thousand times, and I felt like I was confronted with this question of what, what are my shackles? And I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and he said, familiarity and repetition. And it wasn't suffering for me. Paul and Silas was suffering. Mine was repetition and familiarity. What I mean by that is by the time we sing one new song on a Sunday and you guys are hearing it for the first time, I've probably heard it 20 or 30 times. I've done personal prep work on it. We've done a Wednesday rehearsal. I do a Saturday night run through. We do a Sunday morning rehearsal. We do two services on Sunday. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was confronted with that scale image. Christ's worth and the worship that he is worthy of and would I allow repetition or familiarity or monotony of a worship song be of greater worth to me than singing praises to God? Oh, praise the name. I've sang, sang it a hundred times ever since it came out in 2015. And even today, I had to sit there and go, I'm going to sing this song, though I know the melody, know I, though I know the chords, and I know how the music should be. I was confronted with the Paul and Silas-like resolve. And I had to make a decision that says, no, my God is worthy of my praise, even in the season of life I find myself in. And so I've been working on a song kind of built around this idea, and I want to share the lyrics with you, and then I want to pray it over you. But I've, I was, I've been working on these lyrics, and it's all built around the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's resolve. Our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. It's the Paul and Silas that says, I will worship in whatever season I find myself in. So I just want to read these over you. Verse 1 says, I heard that you spoke peace to raging seas, and I trust that you will do the same for me. But even if you don't do it, my faith will never bow to it. I'll forever choose to praise you. And I read that you are present in the fire, and I trust that you will shield me through the trial. But even if I don't feel it, my faith will never bow to it. I'll forever choose to praise you. And I know that you rolled away that stone, and I trust that you will resurrect these bones. And even though I wait for this, my faith will ever rest in him. I'll forever choose to praise. And then here's the bridge. Come hardship or shadow, Come darkness, come pain. Come sickness or trial, my resolve remains the same. Come victory or triumph, come wellness, come rain. Come furnace or idol, my resolve remains the same. I'll forever choose to praise, for my hope stands on an empty grave. And so I just want to pray this over you guys as before we go into a time of baptisms, because I've been praying it over my own life, and I want to pray it over you guys. So if you guys would just bow your heads, and I just want to pray that we would have a Paul and Silas-like resolve in our lives. Well, Lord, we just thank you for your kindness and your mercy to us every morning. Lord, we thank you for the way that you watch over us and the way that you provide for us and care for us. And Lord, we just ask that over every single person in this room and a part of this church, we just pray that we would have a Paul and Silas-like resolve. That we would have a resolve that says, even if the storms of life come, my worship will not falter. I will not change my worship based on how I'm feeling, but I will, I will worship based on what you did upon the cross. So God, give us, give us the same resolve like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where we can sing and believe for breakthrough, but have the confidence that even if the breakthrough doesn't come, we will never bow our knee to what we see in this life and the challenges that we face. We love you. It's in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. I want to finish with one thing. I love this. The reality of, of all of these things that I kind of presented to you guys is comfort. Comfort didn't die for my sins. And busyness didn't carry my cross up Golgotha's hill. And repetition and familiarity, it didn't guarantee my salvation. 
There's only one person who did that, and it's Jesus Christ.